Hi ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today our review is over chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians. I shared yesterday that Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles started the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey, Acts chapter 18. We also learned in verse 12 that Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, southern Greece, and that happened in AD 51. So, considering the traveling and the events of Paul, it is believed he wrote this letter to the church which met at Corinth in the mid-50s, some say 55 AD. In the letter, chapter 16, verse 8, Paul wrote, But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Even though Paul went to Ephesus after Corinth during his second missionary journey, it is believed to be too soon for this letter, but he went there again on his third missionary journey, and according to Acts chapter 19, verse 10, Paul stayed there for two years. We also know that Paul wrote a letter to Corinth before this one, which seems to have been lost. And today we will see that his first letter was misunderstood, so he clarified some things in this letter, 1 Corinthians. We also learned that Paul had been informed by Chloe's household that there were quarrels within the church, chapter 1, verse 11, and Paul wanted to address those issues. Plus, the church had sent him a letter asking questions about worship and marriage, so Paul addressed those questions too. We discovered that Corinth was the capital of Achaia and a port city that brought much trade. This city was full of diversity and wealth, but also immorality. And we will find that that immorality filtered into the church. Paul started his letter reminding the people of who he was and who they are in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church had become divided over various leaders such as Paul, Apollos, Peter, and then some said they followed Jesus. Paul told them that the leaders are servants of the Lord Jesus and that it is through Christ Jesus that God's power and wisdom came from. And when we are in Christ Jesus, we then have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So we should only boast in the Lord, not in people. Chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. And when we are Christians, we have the mind of Christ within us. Chapter 2, verse 16. In chapter 3, Paul addressed the people's jealousy and strife with each other. He reminded them that they are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in them. Verses 21 through 23, Paul said, So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is another name for Peter, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. There seemed to be people who did not honor Paul as an apostle, and he reminded them that he was their father through the gospel, so they should imitate him. Paul sent Timothy to address the issues, and then he said that he was coming soon to address them himself. This leads us to chapter 5. 
with more disorder in the church. And Paul gets right into it. He wrote, verse 1, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. This probably means a stepmother, or Paul would have worded it differently. It is interesting that Paul addressed the church before addressing the man and told them that they should remove him from the assembly in the hopes of repentance. They seemed to take pride in it instead of mourning over it, and Paul called them to humble themselves instead of being puffed up. Paul then used the illustration of leaven and how just a little leaven infiltrates the whole lump of dough. Then just as the Jews were supposed to clean out all the leaven from their house before the Passover, so Paul was calling them to remove all of the leaven, remove all of the sin, such as malice and wickedness, and they were to put on sincerity and truth. Chapter 5, verse 8. Then in verses 9 through 13, Paul mentioned his first letter, which brought confusion. Paul had written they were not to associate with immoral people. In verse 10, he explained that he did not mean immoral people of this world, such as covetous, swindlers, idolaters, because then they would have to leave the world. What Paul meant was that they were not to associate with brothers or fellow Christians who are immoral, such as covetous, idolatrous, revilers, drunkards, or swindlers. The list expanded. Then Paul said in verses 12 and 13, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside God judges? Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Ladies, we are not to judge the unbelievers because they cannot please God without faith. We are to pray for them. Another thing that I learned from Dr. York that I thought was so insightful about church discipline, he said, if the sin is public, like in this situation, then the discipline needs to be public. But if the sin is private, then the discipline can be private. The goal of discipline within the church is always to draw the believer back to the Lord and his ways. Chapter 6 verses 1 through 11 deals with lawsuits between Christians and they are taking it to the Greek courts. There are a few issues with that. The first is the Greek courts do not use God's guidelines. And the second, it is sort of like airing out the church's dirty laundry for all the world to see. Now, in light of the corruption that we have seen in churches and denominations these last few years, if the church seems to try and sweep the sin under the rug and they are no longer seeking God's guidelines of truth and righteousness, the truth does need to be declared. So as Paul said, remove the wicked from among yourselves, chapter 5, verse 13. Paul said to bring the case before the saints. And then he said, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And I thought, I don't know if I know that in scripture. According to a few commentators, it may be in reference to Jesus telling the 12 disciples that they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel, which is found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, and Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 28. And it may also reference Daniel chapter 7 verse 22 with his prophecy where the saints took possession of the kingdom. Other than that, I do not know. 
Now, 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude verse 6 addresses angels being judged, but not necessarily by the saints. But it seems that Paul and the church in Corinth knew this. It could be that he is referencing a book that we do not have in this era. Then Paul said, if we are going to judge the world, then are we not competent to judge even the smallest matters within the church? Paul reminds the Corinthians that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That includes the sexually immoral, adulterers, thieves, drunks, people who stir up trouble or covet, and swindlers. Again, this list is not exhaustive. Paul tells them that some of you were like this, but you were washed, you were cleansed, but you were sanctified, set apart, but you were justified just as if you'd never sinned in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. Leon Morris said in his commentary, here the church is further defined as them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus as called to be saints. Both expressions bring out the thought that Christians are set apart for the service of Christ. Saints is from the same root as sanctified. That's found on page 34 and 35 of his book. Christians are to be different than the world. We are called to be holy as God is holy. And the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God makes the change in our lives. It is a process and we are not complete yet, but we will be someday. Then Paul makes another important point in Christianity. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul is speaking of Christian liberty. Since Christianity is based on salvation in grace alone, because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we do not earn our salvation, nor do we lose it. Even the one who was to be removed from fellowship, there is no statement of his losing his salvation. Yes, we are free, but not all of our actions are beneficial. Paul said the question is, am I mastered by these things? Paul addressed two issues, eating rituals, and he said that the food is for the stomach and the stomach for the food, but someday God will do away with both. And then the second issue is sexual immorality. As a Christian, we belong to Christ. And then Paul asked in verse 15, should I then take the members of Christ and join them with a prostitute? May it never be. He described sex as two becoming one flesh, as it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Verse 18, Paul said, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. He said, as Christians, we are not our own. We are bought with a price, which is Jesus's blood. And because of that, we are to glorify God in our bodies. When my kids were teenagers, our church did true love weights for a month. There was an illustration that I thought was good. We gave the kids a construction heart, and then they ripped a piece of the heart to represent being with someone sexually. The more people, the less of your own heart you had to give. 
sexual sin has a way of getting to our core like no other sin. Is it unforgivable sin? No, it's not unforgivable. How do we know that? The woman at the well with Jesus in John chapter 4. She had five husbands and the one she was living with was not her husband. But Jesus met her and salvation came into her life. The key is that once Christ Jesus comes into our lives through the Spirit of God, we are changed and we should not act the same way anymore. Yes, it is a process, but as I've said before, the question for me is, am I more like Christ today than I was a year ago? Also, the more we read the word and memorize the word and pray and fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can see the transformation happen. And then we glorify God in our bodies because of what he has done in us. So ladies, have you heard the voice of the Lord today? What is he saying? Maybe you need to confess some sin or end a relationship that does not please the Lord. Maybe you need to forgive a brother or a sister in Christ. Whatever it is, he will empower you to do it. So let's be women who hear the Lord and obey so that we may glorify God who saved us. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.